0: And all those smiling faces, we've had some fellowship with some of the folks today that's always been good. And we're grateful for any time that we can have fellowship uh, with the members of the church. And Pastor saw fit to allow us to have some of that. Um, I told you that I have stories on Pastor Brent. And so I'll give you one. One day we were standing close to his office just outside the hall, and we were having one of those brief staff meetings. He had something going on. He was intense. You know, when he gets his mind focused, he can be very intense. And, um, and Chandler, Chandler, where's Chandler? Chandler, you couldn't have been much more than seven or eight, probably, was he? he was five. Oh, he was five. Okay. <laughs> Oh, where does the years go? <laughs> so Chandler was about five years old, and, and so he came out of his dad's study, his dad's office. And, um, and he came up, and he, of course, he was a little guy, and he says, Dad, 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 Chandler, not now, I'm talking. Dad, Chandler, I'm talking right now. But, Dad, and then all of a sudden, we begin to smell something. (laughs) And Chandler had taken one of his plastic toys and put it in the microwave in his dad's office and turned the microwave on. And when he opened that microwave, this billowing smoke came out and stunk up the whole hallway, all the way down. And uh, (laughs) we teased... We teased Pastor Brent about that for a long time. He's probably never lived that one down uh, with some of us on staff. It was, it was a joy to work with he and Kelly, and, and I had the privilege of watching their children grow up and mature, and, and uh, I'm grateful not all of them are there yet, but uh, it's, it's a joy. I, I hugged those, those boys this week and thank the Lord for them. We watch your services online from time to time, and I love it when Emily comes home from college and sings. It's fantastic. I I, I tell you, the hearts of Pastor Brent and Kelly leap with unbelievable joy as they watch their children. I have watched him weep, saying, I want my kids to turn out right for the Lord. Um, And uh, he's had some examples along the way. Uh, And have heard him say, I I want my my kids to serve the Lord in a local church. And uh, so, uh, what a blessing. What a blessing uh, he is. Now, for the message tonight, I'm really excited about this. And I want to tell you why. Every message I've prepared for this conference is a message, as I said Sunday, that kind of stacks on top of each other. And so, you are going to see what I call connection points from sermon to sermon. And you'll be able to lace these truths together that will build a tremendous philosophy of missions from a New Testament perspective. And that's really my responsibility. I mentioned that I travel for the mission and raise funds for the general fund. Um, but I enjoy preaching. Preaching's been my life uh, for over 45 years, and it's been my privilege. Uh, and I enjoy watching people grow in the Lord. And we, we, minister together, and we could write literally a book on what we've seen the Lord Lord do. So tonight, take your Bibles and find the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13, please. And the title of the message tonight is, The Mission of the Church is Missions. That is your mission. Every New Testament local church, the mission, the main mission, the main emphasis... We will find in the New Testament to be missions. Now, Acts, as you well know, is a transitional book with great significance. Uh, It is the perfect record of the progress of Christianity from the ascension of Christ until Paul arrived in Rome. Think about the broader spectrum of those chapters. The book of Acts is the propagation of the precise work of Christ and his church and how missions began for us to model our church after. The book of Acts is a profile of the preaching of the gospel for the first 30 years of the first century. So just think about this as we plunge ourselves into the text in real time. This was what was going on. And they were, they were part of a parenthesis of time that was incredible. What a privilege. Everyone serves, by the way, if I could say this, everyone, everyone serves for such a time as this. I never get discouraged about world events or where we are. God knows. God, Listen, God is sovereign. We know that. He's sovereign in our lives. But did you know that God, and I know you know this, but God is sovereign among nations. Even in a time of war, he is still sovereign. And so we must trust him. We must must allow him to do his work. So that as he does, he has raised us up. He has put us in this generation, in this culture, in this country. That we might be able to be used of God. And all of us play such an important part. The book of Acts also presents the proper pattern for church life. It proves the principles for worldwide missions. You see, when God got ready to begin his missionary movement, he chose for his own son to be the first missionary. And the Bible is our missionary book. And the gospel is our missionary message. And the Great Commission is our missionary mandate. And the church, as we will find out tonight, is the one who sends the missionary. And the mission board is simply a service arm to the local church. We do not exercise authority over the church being a mission board. We are subject to the church. And so the church is is vitally important in the life of, of missionaries and in the ministry of Missions, And then all of us, as you are well taught, all of us are missionaries, as I have mentioned last night. Now, it would be remiss of me not to review how we got to the 13th chapter. We're going to only deal with four verses tonight. But I want to get us there so that we can get our minds around this and and get in our mental mill what's been going on. Every chapter has given us uh, a a progress toward this, toward chapter 13. For instance, we begin in chapter 1, as you well know, the the, the promise of power that would come upon us, and we would be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. In chapter 2, literally thousands of people got saved, when the church was empowered on Pentecost when we get to chapter 3 we see that persuasive preaching prevailed as Paul as uh, Peter and John preached about repentance ended up getting thrown into prison for it and then there was the pursuit by the religious left or or the the religious right or left excuse me that's correct to, to stop Try to thwart and hinder the gospel. And we read about that in chapter 4 when the temple priests and Sadducees laid hands on Peter and John and, and put them in hold or, or put them in prison. And then there's the purging of the church. The church wasn't long born before all of a sudden there, were mur- there was murmurings among the members of the church. And it, w- it was over the care of widows. And actually it was over the care of two nationalities of widows. And so when the devil thought that he could break the back of the church early on, God stepped in on the scene. He is sovereign. He knew that was going to happen. And the office of deacon was born out of that conflict. Isn't it amazing what the Bible does? Isn't it amazing what God does? And then there's the ploy of uh, or the purging of the church uh, from within as Peter had to deal with Ananias and Sapphira. And then the ploy of Satan to divide the church And then the the persecution began, and Stephen was stoned in chapter 7. And in chapter 8, we find Peter and Philip preaching and and people being saved. The Ethiopian eunuch got saved in that chapter. And then we get to chapter 9, 10, and 11. And a man comes on the scene by the name of Saul of Tarshish, and he gets saved. A religious man, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a man who was well-educated, Trained to persecute the church. Isn't it just like our sovereign God to save the most hostile person in the culture of the day so that he could take his life and do a great work with it? That is exactly what God does. And so the power of the gospel is seen in those chapters. And by the time we finish chapter 12, the persecution had intensified and Herod put James to death And prayer prevailed as Peter was delivered out of prison. And that brings us through the first three years of the early church in the first century. So those three years are behind us now. And now, geographically, we are in Antioch. Now, there's two Antiochs in the Bible. One is in Asia Minor. That's not where we're at. We're in Antioch, this north of Jerusalem, some 300 miles. And God, in His infinite wisdom and in His sovereignty, placed people in that church from all walks of life. And He began His ministry of missions in that church. And what we're fixing to read in the first four verses of Acts 13 is an incredible text that opens up to us that that it is proof that the mission of the church is missions because as we see this unfold before us tonight we will be able to connect those dots and see what God did in the first century and how he continues his plan in the 21st century so let's begin our reading in our text verse 1 of acts chapter 13 now there were in the church that was at antioch certain prophets and teachers. Now I want to make some commentary along the way so that when I get to certain points, this will already be in your mind. The word prophet does not refer to someone who could foretell the future. This word prophet is the word that means preachers and teachers. And so there's not a prophet in the early church that was going to prophesy or tell some future event. So fortune telling is out when it comes to the local church. Now there is forth the truth when Paul taught about the second coming that was a forthcoming truth that was, that was true. So it's not, there's a difference between fortune telling and forth an event that the Bible speaks of. And so these prophets were simply men in the church who were preachers and teachers now watch carefully as five are given to us five men are mentioned to us there were more no doubt we always don't have all the story we have what the holy spirit wants us to have but no doubt there were many others and over the years of this church especially in the first century there were probably many more that would follow and this is the pattern in which we follow today so these men are very important. Who they are, where they're from, how God worked in their life. And now God has them from all, all across the known world at that time. He has these five men in Antioch. Now let's name them from scripture. As Barnabas, he was from Cyprus, an island. He was a very wealthy man. And Simeon, that was called Niger. And Lucius of Cyrene, that was the north shore of Africa, that'd be modern day Libya. And Menahan, he was raised in Jerusalem in the palace which had been brought up with Herod the Teacharch, who was one of the most vile, most wicked kings that Judah ever had and Saul of Tarsus. Now here are the five men that are mentioned. Now notice what they were doing. Notice what these men were doing. And as they ministered and that word Is the word for public servant. To the Lord, they fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, showing the seriousness of this decision, they laid their hands on them. That's the confirmation of the local church. And they sent them away. I want you to underscore the word sent. Because it's used twice in the text. Now our last verse for tonight is verse 4. So they being sent, second time that word is used, sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Cilicia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And thus the first missionary journey began. Father help us tonight. We need your help. I pray, dear Lord, as we develop this passage of Scripture, that we would see the richness of it and the depth of it and how this works. Lord, we saw yesterday morning the responsibilities that we have as a local church to missions, and we saw the importance of our commission last night. But here we... Focus on the local church being the mission station of your work, of of starting churches around the world. So help us, Lord, as we learn about these men personally, who they were, and we can see the very reason why you have why you led them there and why you have placed them in this context and how it's going to thrill our hearts to know how you work a work when it comes to missions through the local church. Lord, if there be someone here that is not saved, we pray, Lord, as they hear the truth about the gospel, the whole purpose of missions is preaching the gospel. I pray, dear Lord, that they would put off and put away their excuses, put away their pride, and say yes to salvation. And Lord, if there be a young couple or a young man or lady here that you're speaking to their hearts about mission service, I pray, Lord, you would make it as clear to them as we'll see that you made it as clear to these men. And that, Lord, they would be willing to yield and surrender and join those laborers in the harvest field. Lord, we desperately need laborers. So help us tonight learn from this perspective about the responsibility of Berean Baptist Church when it, concerned, when it comes to being concerned about missions, which is the main mission of the church. And we will thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. As we put our thinking caps on tonight, I want us to think about how diverse these men were that are listed. They are literally saved from all walks of life that God had brought to one local assembly. And he called those men to preach. They were preaching and teaching when they arrived. And God was going to call out from their midst. Men who will take the gospel to the known world and provide for us in the 21st century a pattern to follow when it comes to missions. So this pattern is easily seen. Obviously Antioch was preaching the gospel. New converts were coming and being saved. They were trying to live out their newfound faith. Believe you me, there are struggles there. Many of them were saved out of paganism. Many of them lost family connections when they got saved. All kinds of temptations, all kinds of trials immediately started. And as people were being consumed with the message, they realized what a privilege that somehow they heard the gospel. And they realized that their families and people who lived in other cities and people in the known world had not heard that message they became burdened for it and God brought these men together at the right time to the right church it's very important that you're a member of the right church because God wants to do a work now he doesn't call everyone to the mission field but he wants to put a burden and he wants everyone in the local church to be a part we talked about unity We'll see that again even in this message tonight. So the Holy Spirit moved in their hearts and called them to another ministry. They had already been sent to preach, and now they're going to be sent to go on an actual mission trip. So when we look at this, and we get a, the key idea, the if we want to call it the proposition we can certainly call it that a church that is not focused on reaching the world is a church that is not founded upon the word we are seeing this pattern so if we're going to be a true new testament church then missions has to be in the forefront and every new testament church is nothing more now watch this is nothing more than a birthing station for missionaries Every local church is a birthing station for missionaries. Every New Testament church member is a potential candidate to surrender after being selected by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel. And surrender must come. Now, not, God does not call everyone to preach. God does not call everyone to, to go across the ocean and be a missionary. Or God does not call us to even have church planters, even in our own country. But God uses everyone in the local church, as we have learned already. I know with my life, at 24, I was saved. I was involved in a motorcycle accident on my way home from work. And I'd been raised in a Baptist church that preached the gospel. But I was not saved. Dolly and I were married. We had a baby in the crib. I got saved first. Dolly got saved second. And I realized that I had responsibilities. I had, I had, I had no idea what raising a child was like. And I knew I needed some kind of help. And I'd heard the gospel. And I realized if I'd have died in that motorcycle accident, that I would have went to hell. And I went home and I got on my knees in our bedroom. And I cried out to God for him to save me and he did and nine months later God gave me the shock of my life I was reading in Romans and I read these these words how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent and God put his finger right in my heart and he says I want you to preach the gospel and for seven days, I argued with God. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. I did not win. We don't win our arguments. But God put a series of events. I won't go in, Bob, in, to give you the events that, that God used. But after seven days, I yielded. And I said, God, I have no idea. I need education. I, I, I have no idea. I had a pastor that loved me. And uh, he took me under his wing. Uh, and, uh, I began to, I I was never a Sunday school teacher. I was, I was, I was never anything in the church except I got saved. Nine months later, God called me to preach. By the time I went to school, my pastor did confess, I'm so glad you're leaving. You're about to wear me out. (laughs) Last year, I preached my pastor's funeral and uh, he was a great man of God and I, I loved him dearly. But God moves in the hearts And it is God's word that literally leaps off the page and confirms that call in a man's life. And the devil comes along and he does everything he possibly can to thwart that or hinder that. I think one of the greatest problems that we have in this nation concerning missions is that the American dream overpowers serving God. And it becomes about money, it becomes about position. And God has no opportunity in that heart because the focus is not right. May God deliver us from the American dream. At the end of your life, the American dream and what we do and the money we make, all that will not matter. But what we do for him will. And it will last for eternity. So the devil seeks to do all he can to thwart the work of missions and missionaries. I guess we could say the key thought would be this. In essence, the church has many responsibilities, and you do. There's a lot going on here in this church. But it only has one mission. And what is that mission? It is to evangelize, and here's the words of Christ from, from Revelation 14, 6. Every nation and kindred and tongue and people. That is the commission. And why should we be focused so on this? Why is this so predominant in the New Testament? Predominant in pastor's preaching. Predominant in programs. You literally spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars every year on missions. Probably one of your biggest line items in your budget. It's because we understand We're commissioned by our Savior to do so. Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. Secondly, it's because we are commanded to pray to that end. Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Another reason that we go, and this is the one that, that really burdens my heart, is that Men are condemned already. You know the verse well. We never quote John three sixteen without adding verse eighteen. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Men are dying and going to hell, and that's why Brother Arnold is in Germany. You're a missionary. That you're, that you're supporting. And that's why the Stoles are are on their way to a very dangerous country, Nepal. It's because we understand that men are condemned already. And they need desperately to hear the gospel. So when God launched Worldwide Missions, the movement that we call Worldwide Missions, he did so through the members In the assembly at Antioch. That is so important. Its members readily and eagerly gave themselves. Gave their children. Their grandchildren. They saw the great need and they wanted others to have the gospel. Would you consider with me in this text four obvious truths about the church at Antioch. And how they serve as an example for us today. The first thing I want you to see is that Antioch was God's incubator for missions. This is where it all starts. Those five men, they were diverse in composition. The membership was that way. Let me prove this to you. Let's just walk through these five men. And let me just tell you a few facts about them. You could spend an entire series on these men. But Barnabas was from Cyprus, our text says in verse 1. And he was a very wealthy Levite. And somehow he got to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, he found there the church, the early church church. There in Jerusalem. And what did he do? He heard the gospel. And Barnabas got saved. God knew what he was doing. He brought him from an island all the way through the Mediterranean, across the Mediterranean Sea to the east. And he ended up in Jerusalem. His name means son of exhortation. He was so engulfed in the church, that when he saw the poor saints in Jerusalem, that he sold the Bible calls it a field or a parcel of ground on the island of Cyprus, and he came and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, this is an offering. It set off an example for others to give to the great need. Barnabas was a tender hearted man. He was for the underdog. Barnabas was able to be patient with people. He exhorted the suffering saints in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11 he said to them. Cleave unto the Lord. Hold on to the Lord. Cleave to him. He was such an encouragement. In Acts chapter eleven, it describes him as a man full of the Holy Ghost and faith. God was working in a man's heart, a man that He could mold, a man that He could manage, that the Holy Spirit could lead. He was influential in one of his relatives' lives by the name of John Mark. Perhaps was there to visit family in Jerusalem when he heard the gospel. And now in our text, somehow, God got him from Jerusalem up to Antioch. That's 300 miles north. And he's in this church. And God had called him. He was preaching and teaching. He was part of the church. And God was using him. And then there was Simeon. That was called Niger. Niger was his surname, and the word Niger means black. Most scholars believe he was a dark-skinned man from Africa. So now we have another continent involved. Watch what God is doing. He's putting all this together. What an orchestration. Only God could do it. And so we find that in our culture today that is plagued with What people call racism. Folks I want to tell you. Race has no part of the gospel. There is only one blood. We are are all from Adam and Eve. One blood. And so this church opened its arms. To another continent. To another color of skin. And folks it's teaching us. This is what the New Testament church today should look like. Be ready as you grow. People will come. And if you're going to watch this, if you're going to be winning souls in the first century, get ready for the culture shock of your life. We had a lady at our church play her instrument on our platform. And someone came to me after she played, lovely lady. And said, Pastor, did you notice the tattoo on her ankle? I said, yes. It's very obvious. You know, by the time she got up on our platform, four steps high, you're about eye level with it. He says, what do you think of that? Now, I shocked this man. I shocked him. I said, I think it's great. And I paused. And then I said, that God would save this lady and she has a gift that she's using in her local church. Your local church should look like those who live around you. And who God will call to you. Lafayette is a, it's an international city in some ways. Did you realize that? Big university. Lots of jobs. People are coming in. Legal or, unlegal, or not legal. So here we find a continent and another color involved. But it doesn't stop there. Look at Lucius in verse 1 of Cyrene. Now Cyrene was an ancient city in Libya and it was an up-to-do city. People would go there for their education. Most scholars believe that either Lucius was a physician or a lawyer. He was well thought of. And so now we have Someone who is well educated from another race. And just as race had no place in the New Testament, neither does nationalities. And then there was Menahon. He was brought up there in Jerusalem. And he was in the palace. And he was watching the wicked, vicious activity. One of the greatest tyrants that ever ruled Judah. Herod. And Manan. Watched Herod. One day lust after Herodias. And he took her from her husband. For his sexual pleasures. And Manan knew it. He watched Herod order the beheading. Of John the Baptist. On the charger. And probably witnessed John's head. On the platter. He was probably there when Stephen was stoned. And then one day. He watched Herod. As he proclaimed. The glory of God for himself. And he watched Herod die a slow and painful death as he was eaten by worms. So we find that race and nationality have no bearing on whom God calls to the harvest and neither do those who came up watching or living or being a part of a life of sin. You see, when the gospel comes into a person's life and saves them, God forgives them. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses them from all their sins. And God looks at them through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says, I can use her. I can use him. And God moves in the life of people. Regardless of their background. The gospel. And then there was Saul. Brilliant minded young man. At the age of 10, I read historically, at the age of 10 his parents and the religious leaders in Tarshish saw that he had something that no other child at the age of 10 had and his parents, at the urging of the religious leaders in their city, sent him at 10 years old to be educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Think about that. So early on Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, of the tribe of Benjamin. And God puts his finger on him. And we find that race and nationalities and wickedness has no bearing upon God whom God calls. And neither does those who are saved out of religious background. So God was orchestrating all of these things at Antioch. He brought these people together. We can say that Bartimaeus was a wealthy Levite. Simeon was a wicked pagan of a different color. Lucius was a well-informed doctor or lawyer from Libya. Manaean was wrongfully trained in Herod's palace. And Saul was well-educated in Asia Minor, in Jerusalem. And now God has all of those men in the church of Antioch. And my whole proposal to you about this point is Antioch was diverse in its composition. But will you see secondly with me that the congregation at Antioch was unified in character. Remember we talked about unified yesterday. All five of these members had five things in common. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, they were saved by the power of the same gospel. Number two, they were led by the same spirit. Number three, they said no to their own personal pursuits and dreams. Number four, they were surrendered to the will of God. And number five, they were steadfast and became martyrs for what they believed. So in every local assembly, God is looking for people that he can entrust with the gospel. Call into his service, and he does throw through does so through different types of people from different backgrounds and different languages and different races and different cultures and different countries when the ball boils down to you and to me, you remember uh, the old poster of Uncle Sam and he's dressed up in his red, white, and blue, and his finger is pointing, and he says, I need you. And I don't care where you would move, that finger would just follow you everywhere you went. And you know, that's exactly what God is doing. God is saying, I need you. I need you at home in your local church to be involved in missions. I need you on the mission field if I so choose to call you. I need you. Antioch was God's incubator for missionaries. And today, the birthing ward for missionaries is the local church. It has to be in our minds that way. Secondly, let me show you something else in verse 2. Antioch was infiltrated with faithful servants as they ministered unto the Lord. Now the believers in Antioch did their part and we'll see in the B part of this verse that the Holy Spirit did his part. And I want you to notice the word ministered, it in your Bible. It is the word that means temple servant. We get our word liturgy from the Greek word. It's really a Latin word. It indicates the work of a public servant. In many ways, it was a political term that Paul pulled into the New Testament to teach these people about how they were ministers. And so the believers of Antioch did their part. You see, today's missionaries was yesterday's servants in the church. They were just serving. They were ministers. Doing what God had called them to do serving in their church and then the Holy Spirit did his part the Holy Ghost said separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work wherein I have called them so we see that Antioch was infiltrated with faithful servants you belong to Berean Baptist Church be a faithful servant God always will entrust you to do more as you serve him today as you use your gifts and talents and abilities for the Lord. And who knows what God may do. If you can't go, perhaps maybe one of your children will. Or one of your grandchildren would. Infiltrated with faithful servants. I want to encourage you tonight. Be a faithful servant in your local church. And many of you are and you're here tonight that prove it. So Antioch, the local church there in the first century, just as it is in this century, is God's incubator, birthing station for missionaries. Antioch, just like the church today should be, infiltrated with servants. Look at verse 3 and watch the Lord develop this thought. I call it Antioch was an interceding body of believers. They were praying, they were fasting, they were laying on the hands, praying and fasting and laying on of hands was always under the authority of the local assembly, not the mission board, not a pastor's fellowship, not an association of churches, it's the local church and it was done corporately under the auspices of the church. It was a commissioning of the local church which put, which put their approval upon the call of the missionary to the work in which the Holy Spirit had called them. And it was a commissioning of the local church which put their approval in the heart of that missionary. And he left knowing that his local church loved him and was praying for him, supporting him in every way, encouraging him. Their Specific calling came to them while they were faithfully serving in a, among an interceding group of people. Now, I want you to notice, I, I ask you to underscore the word sent. The word sent in verse 3 and verse 4 are the same in our English. But they are two different Greek words. Now, I want, I want you to see this. So, you'll understand about the call of God and how he sends missionaries out from the local church. The first word sent in verse 3 is the word in which we translate the word apostle, a sent one. Now, we do not have apostles today. We know that, and the reason for it. But we do have sent ones. And so there's no apostolic authority being exercised today. We have the completed word of God. So we do not need that apostolic authority. But we do need sent ones. And that's why I believe the changing of the word in this text is so important. And I think it really will point out that to our, to our hearts. This word simply means to be fully free or liberated from all other responsibilities in the local church, and that there will be a release or a loosening of the hands of the local church to the missionary. So he would become a sent one. In this instance, these servants were sent out as ambassadors for Christ. That's your theme, verse 2 Corinthians 5.20. And they were released by the church to go and win souls and baptize converts and disciple those converts just as we mentioned last night in the message. And train others whom God would call to do the same and the circle starts all over again. This word sent is important. It was part of their calling. It led to the laying on of hands. To fulfill their calling. We should do the same today in our local churches. Now the second word sent in verse 4. I want you to see it there. And let me share with you the difference. So they being sent forth. A completely different word. By the Holy Ghost. And this word sent. Means to dispatch. And here's what I found quite unusual and good about this word. It means to dispatch or to thrust into a temporary work. It means to go on an errand. It means that this would be temporary opportunities. And when you look at it and you see it in the language, in the structure of the language that way, now you begin to understand that it was Paul that went on his first missionary journey, went to several cities, took him around nine months to finish that first journey. They were all temporary places. He didn't stay there. He went on a second missionary journey. God sent him. He got to Troas in his second missionary journey. And God sent him over into Europe. By the Macedonia call. We mentioned last yesterday. And so this sending is geographical the sending is what god is doing the stoles are geographically moving their family to nepal to to build a church brother arnold in germany spoke to us gave us specific prayer requests what is he doing there He's there because God has called him. Church planters are not to go there and plant a church and stay for 20 years and pastor a church. Our mission board does not not allow that to happen. You get the church started, you turn it over to a national, and you move on. And you go to another. You follow the pattern. So it's interesting as we see these words sent and how crucial they are. You see, God has places that needs the gospel to be preached. All across the world. And people need to surrender. And God may move you geographically. He may move you more than once. But as you allow the Spirit of God to lead you, you'll be amazed at what God can do with a surrendered life. As David Livingston so aptly said. I thought about this in closing. I want to say this. Christ alone can save the world. But Christ cannot save the world alone. He needs us. Right here in our own Jerusalem. And then beyond. He needs us. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we must keep in mind. That the church is the birthing ward and incubator for missionaries. That the Holy Spirit is the initiator. That members are the in- in assessors, And the missionary is the one who will invest his life. So people have to be open to the call. Not everyone will be called. And then people have to be prayerful. Everybody can pray. And then some will be able to open their purses. In every mission program, everyone can give. Some choose to give out of their abundance. I have watched wealthy people give large sums of money to missions over the years. They gave out of their abundance. And they gave out of their abundance many times. And that's one way in which you can give. Many will give sacrificially. They will have to determine What's important for their family, for them. Because they want to have a part in worldwide missions. And then many and all of us should give by faith. That God would, by faith, allow us to give. So when we come to this matter of New Testament missions, we see how important the church is. We see what God does in churches in bringing people together. It would be wonderful if God would bring a young couple here or a young man that's already here and all of a sudden through pastors preaching and God working in their life they want to yield to missions. I preached not long ago at Ambassador Baptist College and one of the students emailed me and has been ever since saying, I believe the Lord is calling me to missions. And I believe that, uh, I don't know why, but I cannot get Ukraine off my mind. And I get an email from this student from time to time. And I'm grateful for it. And she is determined that if God wants her in Ukraine, somehow God's going to put her in Ukraine. That's incredible. May God give us a loadful of young people who would be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Send me in a church to rise up that God's put together from all walks of life right here in Lafayette. And watch God work in people's hearts. And wouldn't it be great, one missions conference a few years from now, that one of your own will come back and report what God is doing. How wonderful that would be. Pastor Brent wouldn't be able to sleep for a week. He'd be thrilled. God can do it. You're a wonderful church. You're great listeners. And I know God is doing a work here. And I, I want these messages, as simple as they are, I want these messages to worm their way into your heart. And let God speak to your heart about what you can do for missions. In the coming year. And what you might do in surrendering to him. Would you stand with me please. Pastors coming. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Contemplate the message. And I don't know how God may have spoken to you. But that's between you and the Lord. But I give you. The simple message tonight. With the prayer and belief and faith. That God wants to do. A great work here. In the assembly at Berean. And I believe that will include a tremendous missions program as God directs the pastor uh, and as God opens doors that no man.